Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today our passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let's read. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do not if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, to say that this is a controversial um, section of 1 Peter in, in our time might be a bit of an understatement. Anytime you get to uh, the roles of men and women in Scripture, it can be a very touchy subject. In 1 Peter 3, that's that's our case as well. Some of the things that are that are said here definitely kind of send uh, prickles up your back if, if you're aware of some of the current debates and thoughts that, I mean, even... Uh, young Christian men and women are, are struggling with today. What are roles? How are we supposed to do? I think Peter's statements here, um, while they they might seem outdated or contrived, are actually very still applicable, and there's still truth here, uh, even though we we might see it otherwise. So I think it's good to hear Peter out, understand him in his context and what he's saying and the significance of what he's saying in his time. The first verse, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It's important to understand the recipients of 1 Peter. Um, there is, you know, the debate is, is I guess, kind of out on um, exactly who this is or who this could be. Most people, I really like Karen Job's commentary on First Peter, and, and she says that a lot of the people that um, we get these lists of, of cities at the beginning of the letter, uh, these are Gentile countries that um, are definitely filled with Christian converts. And maybe we don't have such large Jewish populations as we might think, but there are definitely people meeting in these Jewish synagogues that have a Jewish background. That's why Peter can also use so much Old Testament scripture and allusion because he knows people in his audience will understand and they're going to be able to give that insight to the Gentile Christians. But no doubt there are a lot of Gentile Christians, people who have no concept of the Jewish God, what the Torah says, and then what the New Testament, what the New Covenant is now bringing them. So what you're going to find is many women are going to convert to Christianity while their unbelieving husbands do not. So what what do we do here? And this is a really big issue for Peter, uh, for, for Christians at this time, uh, mainly just because of the, the family dynamic. Um, it was presumed that, uh, this is in Plutarch, 
that whatever gods the husband worshipped, the, the wife would worship also. If not in heart, at least in her external religious duties. Um, so what a lot of Christians, and Paul will write about this in 1 Corinthians as well, is their ability to still participate in, in pagan religious ceremonies and uh, religious feasts and festivals while still holding on to their Christian beliefs and their belief in God. And, and how do these two things not uh, just completely tear apart at one another? How is this not serving two gods at once? All this kind of thing. Well, we find in 1 Corinthians and what we're going to find here in 1 Peter is a lot of contextualization which can be a touchy word. But in Christianity, contextualization really does matter. And so what First Peter, and, and what Peter is saying here in First Peter chapter 3, is, okay, wives, you are now Christians. You've adopted the one true God. Live with your husbands now in such a way that you are subject to them. That means uh, no rebellion. That means uh, no dissension. That means no divisiveness in the home. It means still be this family unit so that through your respectful and pure conduct, they might also be won over to Jesus. Because what they're going to see in this is no doubt these conversations happen in the home where the wife says, hey, I know I've been living and serving your gods, but I have found the one true God. I'm going to be serving him. But don't worry. This isn't going to affect your status and and your place in our community. Because we've got to remember in these 2,000 years ago, in in your community, social standing worked a lot differently. Honor and shame was, was, we have that now, but it was to a whole other level back then. And so what, what husbands feared, especially in situations like this, is that the wife is now going to be living in a different way and bring shame to him, bring shame to his family, bring shame to his social standing, possibly loss of job, all the sorts of stuff, because it looks like the man can't manage his household. So that's what Peter's writing to in, in that situation, especially in, in Gentile uh, concentrated cities. Um, the, these kind of issues were big, and there was the issue of you losing your job uh, over a, a wife not obeying the same gods you did. What also lies under this is the common Gentile belief uh, and pagan belief that it was it was through the husband that prosperity and well-being would come to the family and if he couldn't manage his household well then he would not prosper his family would be sick um, so there's a lot of things that go into the whole family worshiping the same god so this is what peter's writing into so if a wife if the wife has adopted the 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 true god how now is she supposed to interact in her family he goes on in verse 3, don't let your adorning be external, but let it be internal. This was not a new concept. This is taught by the Greeks. This is taught in the Old Testament. Proverbs you know, 31 may be most memorable. But that, that this is a common teaching. As we get down into really the middle of verse 4 down through 6, uh, he he's going to hold up the, the example for the woman to look to, and, that, and that's Sarah. That could be for several reasons. Um Sarah was definitely had to have a strength and fortitude uh, to her uh, within her uh, when Abraham was making all of the uh, <laughs> terrible decisions he makes in uh in in eighteen nineteen twenty with you know lying about who Sarah is and getting her you know 
captured, which is a pretty serious deal. Uh, she's also the the exemplar, really, if we're going to look at Old Testament uh, wives for this idea of submission. I mean, he references the fact that she refers to her husband as Lord. And if my wife, Kaylee, is listening to this right now, I am not making the case that that should continue. But Peter does hold it up as kind of this exemplar for what submission looks like, what it can look like. To speak to the other side of this, I mean, there's there's three different times in the Genesis story, 16 and verse 2, 16, 6, and 21, 12, where uh, Abraham seems to be obeying Sarah. Um, it should also be noted with, with this term Lord, Sarah never actually addresses Abraham directly with this word. And the word obey isn't even in the, the Greek versions of the story. And, and so what we have here, you know, to the contrary, the Genesis story has Abraham obeying Sarah. There's a very reciprocal relationship here between Sarah and Abraham. When you get down to verse 7, you have Peter now addressing uh, the husbands. What the husbands should have been been seeing in this would have gone very much against uh, Greco-Roman society in that God, for one, let's back up, for one, in Greco-Roman literature, especially with... uh, Gentile, or we should say maybe even pagan moral philosophers, uh, there was never a direct address towards women or slaves. It was always the men. And then those moral philosophers would be telling the men how to direct their slaves and their wives. What's unique about Peter's letter is that he does directly address the wives, and he does directly address the slaves. So one of the things that uh, the husband should be picking up is he's no longer the direct enforcer or lawgiver, but that is God. And the woman and the slave actually have their own relationship to this God and that they are going to have to be making their own decisions in accordance to this relationship with God. So there are a lot of walls that Peter's breaking through here in this section. Not only that, he raises the woman up to be a co-heir as uh, alongside the man, uh, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Two last exegetical things to think about is the term weaker vessel. In Greco-Roman literature at the time, that typically referred to physical strength. It was it was seen that the man was supposed to be outside the home, protecting the home. So, so the gods had given him uh, more st- strength and ability to survive heat and cold. They'd given the, the woman uh, more um, familial abilities, uh, gentleness and kindness and wisdom. She was meant to run the household and, and be in the home. And so in that sense was seen as, as physically weaker. And and that could be the case here that Peter is still speaking with that kind of language while also exalting the woman up to be the co-heir with the man. And so that his prayers may not be hindered still kind of fits into this idea that from a Gentile perspective, uh, depending on how the man ran his, his home, depending on how the gods could hear his prayers. And so it's interesting to hear that Peter may be speaking to all of those things in this section. Uh, there should be a disclaimer here. And this is this is the section that people often bring up and say, man, is Peter really um, advocating that women stay with uh, abusive husbands? Peter's in no way addressing uh, that type of uh, situation. If anything, if he is addressing it, He's subverting it, and he's saying that 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 would not be in accordance with a virtuous woman, nor would it fit alongside his commands for the husbands. So this 
passage overall is, is tricky because it's it's layered with a lot of cultural issues that were going on then and that are going on now. But I think we can see the truth that lies in there. The ability for the man and the woman who's living with an unbelieving spouse, um, the way that they can live their life in such a way that the Spirit works through them and works in that situation and can bring that person to Christ, uh, whether that be over the period of years and years and years. It can happen. It could happen. The Spirit has that power. It depends on the willingness and openness uh, of that person's heart. Well, I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways this week. Peace and love.